Thanks for tuning in to the final week of our meme series here at City Church. We are honored and blessed to have you join us for our online worship experience. It is our intent to share the Word of God with our local community, online viewers, and church family. So if you don't have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to have you visit us at 1624 East 38th Street. Remember, resources like these are meant to be supplemental, so get yourself to church. If you would like to find out more about City Church, you can do so by going to citychurch.life or by clicking the link in the description. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you guys. So uh, today uh, we're wrapping up our series called Memes. I wanted to play this game just to have some fun and uh, to really dive into uh, the idea of our, of our final uh, kind of topic. And that is, uh, you know, based around who you are. Uh, so the idea of meme comes from this word, uh, an element of a culture or system of behavior that may be considered to be passed from one individual to another by non-genetic means, especially imitation. And so, uh, you know, kind of this idea of meme is, is, is like figuring out a way that we uh, or, or identifying ways that we naturally uh, move information forward to other people, ultimately from generation to generation. And oftentimes it's uh, this idea like of mimicking. It's not exact. It's, uh, it's like a kind of a version of it. And so this is why today we love it when we get a good meme sent to us. Uh, in fact, uh, John Hannon, who I don't think is, he, oh, he's right here. He sent me a great one this week. Uh, and it was uh, from the end game and it had uh, old school Hulk and it had Professor Hulk and uh, on it. And it said, what were the two names? It was uh, Saul and Paul, that's it. So Saul and then Paul after the conversion, how he became Professor Hulk, uh, but still not to be trifled with. Uh, hopefully you, you get that. If not, we can have a conversation later. But that's the idea. It presents truth, but it does it in a way that is uh, not exact to what the conversation would be if we were just presenting information. So today I wanna talk about you and the idea of, of, of how you are individually a meme in the kingdom of heaven. So last, last week, so we started, we started off last week with this idea of talking about culture, and that's like this broader group of people that we're kind of a part of, uh, and how important it is that we don't, don't let culture define Christianity because Christianity is its own culture and that we have to decide which portion of culture we are most given over to, all right? Um, and, and today I want to even go smaller than culture and come right down to you as an individual, all right? So the information I've got for you today, I feel like is, is really good. I, I think you're going to in, in, you know, get a lot out of it. So track with me as we move forward through uh, Mark chapter four and Mark chapter five. I wanna begin with this idea around obedience. And this is, this is one of those things that's, uh, let me think about how to, how to communicate this. Like when, when, I, when I am uh, with my kids, right? And I talk about obeying, uh, we, we've done enough instilling into them. They get the conversation around obeying, all right? And they understand what's right and what's wrong, but that doesn't mean that in the, in the, in the moment that every decision that they make is an obedient one. Right, and so uh, uh, I won't name kids because it's technically all of them. Uh, at some point, uh, they will be doing something that is wrong, and I will I will come in as a dad. Hey, uh, little one of mine, uh, is 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 what you're doing right or wrong? And they have at various times of their lives, being pretty honest as kids have said that's wrong. Well, why are you doing it? And, and I get the classic, you know what the answer is, right? Why are you doing it? I don't know, right? Anybody ever give that to their parents, right? 
I don't know. My mom, my mom and dad would tell me they were gonna knock my shoulders off of me if I didn't stop shrugging them at them, right? Because they would talk to me, I would do that, and they would be like, like, those shoulders are gonna go. You stop shrugging, right? Because the, the, the idea was is, and, and in fact, in fact, like my parents would get in front of it. They would go, I'm about to ask you a question. And if you say, I don't know, you're gonna be grounded even longer. I just wanna go ahead and let you know. I don't wanna hear those words come out of your mouth, right? And so they would ask me the question, and then I know that the answer I don't know is wrong I, because I've been told not to say it beforehand. And I still, in instinct, like just in breathing, I don't, and I would freeze, right? Okay, so, so obedience in your mind, right? At like some central core of who you are is not the same thing, right? As actual obedience. So knowing what's right and wrong is different than doing what's right and wrong, okay? So, so that's an, an important thing for us to understand. And here's what I wanna do is I wanna give you a little bit of grace coming into this today. And I wanna tell you that it's not easy. Like we can sit here and go, oh yeah, it's black and white. There's no divide, right is right, wrong is wrong. But every single one of us in this room will still struggle with doing right all the time. And sometimes out of just our own nature, we'll just kind of speak up and do something that's wrong and instantly know that like, oh, I just crossed a line I wasn't supposed to cross. So, so it's not that this is a simple process, but it is the right process, all right? So Mark chapter four, we're gonna begin towards the end of the chapter. And we're gonna look here in verse 35. And so on that day when evening had come, Jesus is with the disciples. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. So uh, they are in front of, I believe it's the Sea of Galilee. They've got to make a, a crossing. Jesus just comes to them and says, hey, we're gonna go across to the other side. There's not like this big network meeting where it's like, hey, bring everybody together. What are we gonna do next? Jesus just comes out and says, hey guys, gather together. We're gonna go to the other side. There's no why, just what. Now, as parents, we naturally, okay, operate this way. We naturally can see things that our kids can't see. And so we naturally will give the what oftentimes without presenting the why, and, and, and sometimes that's perfectly fine. So I'm not here to chastise you for that. We, we all operate that way. And sometimes it's not even about, uh, you know, the fact that, you, you know, that our, 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 our kids can't know the why. Sometimes it's just, we just don't have the energy, right? Sometimes the amount of energy it takes to lay out uh, the why for a situation is so exhausting that by the time we're done laying it out, we don't wanna do the what, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, sometimes it's just like, guys, just do what I'm asking you to do. I just get so tired of saying the same thing over and over. And then sometimes though, uh, uh, the why is not presented simply because there's just not time for the why. Uh, I've been reading a book uh, uh, by a man named Jason Redman, uh, and he is a retired Navy SEAL, and he was talking about uh, the idea of wanting to prove yourself. And as a Navy SEAL, this is just something that's just kind of hardwired in because you, you've already gone through training that, that proves that you, know, you, you are the best of the best, but now you're in a room filled with nothing but the best of the best and you need to prove yourself. And so he said, there's just, there's just this constant, like, like especially the, when you're younger and you're just right in, you've gotta, you gotta prove yourself to everybody. And, and those opportunities to prove yourself are the problem because it's not like we're in, uh, you know, like a TV show, right? So like we watch a TV show uh, and uh, every single day, there is some moment to save the world, right? So every episode, and I don't know if you've ever sat back and thought about it, but like anybody ever watch uh, 24 with Jack Bauer back in the day, right? So it, listen, in 24 hours, he saved the world 24 times, right? I, I mean, we loved it. It was a lot of fun to watch, but 
I mean, if that's the way the world operates, it's like we're constantly teetering on the edge of complete annihilation. And so that idea that's presented to us, uh, you know, when we watch even like some of our crime TV shows, I've been watching Hawaii Five-0 uh, through a little bit lately, and it makes you think like Hawaii is like Gotham City. You know what I'm saying? Like this place is falling apart. There's brutal death happening every day on this island uh, because they've got to fill a hundred episode order uh, to make that happen. And so he's saying that, that it's not like that. And so you, you get, you'll get a call. And, and, and in the book, he's talking about how like, you'll get a call to go to uh, go do something and it'll get canceled before you ever even go. So like the typical response becomes like, just go to the gym. This isn't going to happen. And so when those few moments show themselves, uh, it takes a tremendous amount of maturity and restraint to be able to operate in the, the mission without letting that, I need to prove myself, kind of rise to the top. So he was in a particular mission. Uh, they had lost a handful of seals over the course of a particular battle. And it, of course, he doesn't give a lot of details in the, the, um, what the names of these operations are. But he talks about this moment where they were above uh, an enemy that uh, was... Uh, uh, moving forward and uh, he was uh, they had the high ground and all of a sudden another group in their team put out over the radio and said we're pinned down we need help like we're 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 about to die and it's pitch black there's no light all they can hear is gun gunfire and where they're at uh, he said it's a really steep drop off. And so he's turning to his guys and they have this feeling of like, we've already lost brothers. We've already, we, we, we've got to make these, these guys pay for what they're doing. There's just this like call of duty, like Americanized Hollywood thing burning inside of him to go and be Rambo and save the day. And so he's looking at this guy that's with him and he's trying to determine, should he go? And so he gets on the radio and he calls and he says, you know, do, do the people on the other side that also have the high ground, do, can, do they have eyes on the ground? Turns out that they do. And so he radios into command and says uh, that he is about to drop down into this, this uh, battle and try to go save the guys. Well, it's total chaos. And it's chaos on the radio. I mean, people are like, you know, this is one of those moments where people are dying. And uh, his, his command gets on the radio and says, absolutely not. You fall back and regroup out and gets done. He's given a really clear command. And he says, not happening. Those are my brothers down there. I'm going in. I don't care if I die. And so he says that he just took off and went down this embankment and took one of the guys that was under his command with him. And they were moving. And he, was, and, and, and he talks about how, like, like he's hearing these, uh, the, this gunfire, and this is how he's moving. He's, he's not moving because he can see. He's moving around gunfire as it's happening. And then he hears on the radio command asking him where he's at. And he's like, I'm not answering. Like, these guys are punks. I'm not answering my command. And so he's moving through, and he keeps hearing, they keep hearing. And then finally, his command says over the radio something they were trying not to say over the radio. We have air support ready to save our guys, but we cannot open fire because we don't know where you're at. And so he's standing in the middle of this battle and realizes that now all these people's lives are in tremendous jeopardy because he didn't follow through on what he was supposed to. And so he immediately picks up the radio and says that we are moving to an area. We're climbing up out of there. We'll radio you back. They get up the embankment and they call in and uh, immediately following his commander comes up to him and says, what were you thinking? And instead of having the humility to say, I wasn't thinking, he dug in and said, I did what was right. And he began to justify it. And, he, and in, in this story, he talks about how he got set back and ended up back in training. And he still just continued to dig his heels in because obedience is not this like really simple thing for any of us. And for some of us, it's even more difficult. For some of us, we, like, like the idea of being the rebel and rising up and being the one and needing to know the why, those are things that, that can come somewhat natural. 
And, 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 and the truth is that when Jesus speaks in our lives, if we get hung up in the why, we can miss the what. And that's, that's a really, really powerful thing to think about when we think about our destiny, our future, our purpose. He says in verse 36, it says in verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Storms will get you, won't they? That was some good Southern language I put in there for Dylan. Make him feel it like he was at home, right? For a moment. Storms will get you. It is the truth. And, and storms come into our lives at various moments and for different reasons. Uh, I was sitting here thinking about this and I was thinking about uh, how in the church, like we build our own case for, for, you know, how we interpret scripture, like what our doctrine's gonna be. And one of the things that a lot of people do is they start thinking about the storms that come in life and they start thinking about, you know, the idea that God would even send a storm and they'll say, oh, I don't believe in that type of judgment. And they, and they begin to remove themselves from the, what I would say are the nudges and the correction of God, right? But there, those aren't the only types of storms that come in our lives. Sometimes we have storms that are presented by the enemy. It, it, it's like Frodo and Bilbo trying to get to where they're going to dump the ring off into the, uh, into the uh, Mount Doom. Uh, and I, I needed some help there. Thank you. And, but, but my point here is, is that as they're on their journey to see the one ring destroyed, it's not like they got on the journey and then they were surprised when they got to Mordor that this was going to be difficult. No, everybody told them. Like this, this could be the end of your life. This journey, this task you're going on, it, this is not to be trifled with. In fact, as they are building the quote unquote fellowship of the ring, the group of people that will take the ring and see it destroyed, they are doing so because they understand that entering into Mordor means crossing the storm, right? Because why? Because the enemy doesn't want the ring to be destroyed. The enemy doesn't want this. He doesn't want the good guys coming into his territory. And so what we see in scripture are storms like with Jonah, where Jonah is in rebellion and running from God. And so a storm takes place. And the reason for that is to get his attention to correct course so that he'll step into his destiny. And then we have storms brought on by the enemy and those are to prevent us from stepping into our destiny. And, the, and here's the problem. This is what we've got to do as individuals is we have to stop identifying every storm as just being like, uh, God doesn't like me or man, Satan's just really after me. We have to learn how to stop in the storm and say, how did I get to this storm? You see, when we begin to ask the question, how did I get here? How did I get into this storm? We'll begin to find out what type of storm that we're in. You see, if we get into the storm because we're running from God, then we can pretty much assume that because we're running from God, the storm we're in is meant to correct us and get us back on path. Or if we're being obedient to God and we're hopping in the boat when he says to hop in the boat and a storm is coming, that means that God's about to take us somewhere where something significant in our lives is about to happen. And unfortunately, because we don't learn how to identify storms, we just give up in the midst of storms. And we just begin to just, woe is me. And we figure out ways to, to just rant and complain to people, but we don't take ownership for where we're at. And the question that we really come to in this storm is what's on the other side? Jesus said, get in the boat, we're crossing. And a storm begins to come as such that the waves are filling the boat. And it seems it feels like they're going to sink, like they're not going to make it, but yet they are doing what Jesus said. That means that something is on the other side. So let's move to Mark chapter five uh, and, and verse one, and we'll begin right here. It says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of uh, the Gerasenes. And I just wanna pause right here 
anytime that, uh, uh, so yesterday for Carmen's birthday, we went to the uh, beach and uh, we had bought the kids some uh, uh, body boards, boogie boards, you know? And so the, the kids are riding the like, one wave every hour that was coming in on the water. It was uh, like being on a lake, but we were out there. And so it had just, the water was just so calm that uh, Caitlin was done with one of them and she gave it to me and then I'm holding on to it. So then I, I, I decided I was going to sit on it. And so like I pushed it down into the water and of course I'm sitting on it. And it's not like when you're sitting on something that's that buoyant that it just is going to just let you sit there. So like, I'm like, doing this the whole time. It's kind of fun, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I told them that I was uh, 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 bottom surfing. And so I, I just kind of made that up on the spot. And, and the truth was that every time I adjusted my, my, myself, the, the board wanted to come up another direction, right? So if I was this way, it wanted to go that way. And so I turned this way, it wanted to come this way. So like, I'm, I'm like full on, like just sitting here trying to hold this thing underwater. Now, now, Paul, when we get into Romans, he, he talks about the, the uh, person who doesn't believe in God. And he says that the person who doesn't believe in God, the atheist, the person who not only doesn't believe in God, but hate is in their heart, that anybody who believes in God is crazy, that for them, that the gospel is, is a lot like that, that boogie board, right? The gospel is buoyant. In a body of water, it always shoots to the top. And so the reason that so much hate builds up inside of people and they want to and tear the word down is because they have to hold that thing in place. And in order to prove that what they want to be true, that God is not real is true, they're constantly in an attack mode. They constantly have to hold that board down because if at any moment they're not, it shoots back up to the top. All right, are you tracking with me on this? And so, so this, is, this is one of those reasons why so many people who are not believers uh, become so filled with hate towards believers is because their arguments that they have are ones that constantly begin to sink. And so they have to constantly come. And one of the things that needs to happen is the tearing down of scripture. This is one of the scriptures that they'll point to and they'll say, look, the Bible cannot be the word of God because there is an error in the story. And so uh, this particular story that we're going through, we're going at it from the book of Mark because Mark is talking about the authority of God uh, or the authority of Jesus, uh, where Matthew and Luke and uh, even John are having slightly different approaches to, to the way that they are communicating the stories. But when we get here into this passage, we see a discrepancy in Matthew and in Luke. So in Mark, it says the country of the Gerasenes. In Luke, it says the country of the Gerasenes. And, but in Matthew, it says the country of the Gadarians. Uh, or the Gadarenes, however you pronounce it. Uh, and so what happens is they say, look, they can't even get the place right. And so this is the proof that this is not the, uh, the same, that, that, that there's a discrepancy. They can't even get the name of the place correctly. And, and, and this is a really simple one to overcome. And I just wanna pause just to show you how to sometimes look at scripture when people are throwing out these types of arguments. And sometimes, can I tell you, sometimes the arguments aren't even worth having. Sometimes people are so angry and so crazy it's like, you got it, buddy. I'm glad, thank you for showing me and walking away is the best thing you can do, right? Otherwise you could f find yourself in a place where you are surrounded by somebody that's filled with anger. But if somebody wants to have a conversation, uh, the really important thing to point out is that, that what, what most scholars believe is that uh, uh, there was a city that was known as Gadarene. And some of the people who lived in the region, they called the region the Gerardine, the Gadarenes, but people who did not live in the region referred to it as the Gerasenes. Uh, when we were a couple of years ago in uh, Kenya, uh, we went over to, um, ah, is Isaac in here? What was it, where did we go? When we went and climbed, yeah, pay attention. When, when we were climbing the mountain. No, that's a city. It's next to Kenya. Yes, Tan okay, Tanzania. All right, so Tanzania, right? So how many of you guys have ever heard of Tanzania, right? But when you get there, nobody there calls it Tanzania. They call it Tanzania. 
And so when you go in and start talking about Tanzania, they're all going like, this is Tanzania. And so Americans call it one thing, and the people who are local call it something different, right? And, and if you think about it even more simply, right? I mean, the argument here then would say that the United Kingdom and Great Britain and England are three distinct places in our world, right? But yet that's not true. People use those names inter interchangeably or the USA or the US or the United States of America. And it just depends on uh, where you're from. And this is really simply what is taking place right here is that the writers are speaking about it as the Holy Spirit's revealing it from the way they understand it, right? And so that's why it says the country of and not the city of because it was a region, not a specific town, all right? Just some little added advice there or input. All right. Verse two, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So they're coming across, there's a storm, they get to the other side and what do they come across? A man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but, the, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So, so, so here is somebody who is possessed by an unclean spirit, all right? A, a, a demon, we'll just simplify this for us. And somehow what's happening inside of him is, is, is so... Uh, I, I would say supernatural or unnatural that, that this man in his torment cannot even be restrained by chains and, and, and nobody had the strength to subdue him. Now, if this was taking place in your neighborhood, would you want this person subdued? Yes, right? Somebody's crazy like this. We would go, might want to try to take care of this individual, uh, but to that point, nobody was able to. So they had tried, but they had not found themselves capable. And it says that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So he is an individual who is so tormented that he cries out all through the night. And so people are very, very familiar with this crazy guy who lives among the tombs. He's in the cemetery and he is possessed and he has this type of supernatural strength or understanding of physics so that he can just break the chains, okay? And people cannot bind him down. And this is the individual that they have come in contact with immediately following the storm. They get right to the other side. Here is crazy man. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, I, one of the things that really strikes me odd about this is the fact that he ran to Jesus, okay? You would think in the natural order of things that he would turn around and run the other direction, right? When we are in sin, right? We don't want to go and confront authority in our lives. We want to keep running from authority, but there's something about this, this, this demonic presence that feels like it has to come into the presence of Jesus, right? This is one of the reasons why at church, we're very cautious. We're very careful about how we run programs in our church. And we have cameras all over the place because we understand that bad people do not run from the presence of God. Bad people want to show up and be in this place. And so we do everything we can to guard our children and to guard our families, because what we expect is that sometimes the unclean are going to show up and they need Jesus. And we can't be a church if we're not ready for them. And we can't be a church if we're not willing to see them delivered. And we would be fools if we ignored them, right? And so they, this guy comes running up to Jesus and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, 
Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And so this man runs up to Jesus, knows exactly who he is, and says to him, do not torment me. Now, just imagine, right? You're waking up. Jesus says, come on, let's get in the boat and go for a ride. On the way there, a giant storm comes, right, to where you feel like maybe you're going to die. And then when you get to the other side, you're probably thinking at this moment, drowning in the lake might not have been so bad, right? Because this is the guy that rips chains apart, right? This is, this is, uh, this is not somebody we want to mess with. And yet now he's cowered down asking Jesus not to torment him. And so what we see is that the enemy, and you need to know this, like, like you don't need to, to know this in a sense of like in your mind, it's like, yeah, I know that the enemy is afraid of God, but you need to know this in the way you live your life, that the enemy is subjected to the creator and the son of God has total authority. And so what we see here is an unclean spirit capable of wrenching apart chains, screaming, yelling, cutting itself. Like this is a scary, scary scene and it falls impotent before Jesus and says, do not torment me. We don't see this when we, when we see uh, horror characterized within the stories that so many people entertain themselves with or feed on, right? Like, like you do not see that thing that is evil and wicked stop and then cower at anything, right? I mean, just ultimately uh, it, it is somehow defeated and it's by just luck or the right little spell or the right little chemistry set that somebody puts together. But it's not because somebody walks in the room and has some type of authority over it, yet that's exactly what's happening right here. There is a sincere acknowledgement of authority Authority, so that this crazy person knows that it is no longer in charge. In verse eight, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus then begins to speak to this unclean spirit saying, come out of the man. So Jesus acknowledges that the unclean spirit and the man are two distinct uh, beings. They are not one in the same. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, we sit here and we can talk about this idea of Legion. If you've been in church before, you've probably heard this. I just wanna put some numbers in, in, in place for you and help you understand what was being communicated to them. So a Legion at this time was made up of 5,120 legionnaires. So these are trained warriors, right? They were sent into battle. Uh, when a legion showed up, it was 5,120 soldiers ready for war, followed by camp followers, servants, and slaves. And so this could total 11,000 people in all. And so everybody who is standing here in front of this this demon-possessed man who is, now, who is now crawling before Jesus understands that when the unclean spirit gives the name Legion, what it is communicating is not like, hey, there's a bunch of demons in here, right? It was, we are many demons of war. We wreak havoc. When a Roman legion showed up, it was not uncommon in their day, and we've talked about this before, for them to show up and as just a, a, a show of power and authority to crucify every man in a city and just line the streets with crosses. In fact, what we know from history is that Jesus as a child would have seen this because neighboring towns to where he was raised experienced this very thing. So these were not like, hey, here comes the army. They've got our best interest in mind. Absolutely not. Here comes a group of people who pride themselves in tormenting 
and killing people they don't like. And they were Romans, not Israelites. They did not like the Jewish people. They did not care for them. They saw them as uh, uh, gutter trash. And so this was not communicating like a bunch of really strong people. This was ruthlessness and by the thousands. So this name that was spoken was spoken to inject fear into those who were standing around. Now, remember, it knows that it's bound to the authority of Jesus, right? But it has been at work exercising its authority over man. And so it continues to do so in this moment. This gives us a little bit of perspective on what's going on. It helps us to understand that this is not just simply a demon-possessed person. We see demon-possessed people throughout Scripture who have influence, but this is one that not only has that type of influence, but has the ability to bring tremendous suffering to people. So, verse 10, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, we read through this, and probably when you read through this story, you don't read through it in the book of Mark. I know for me, I I tend to uh, gravitate more often towards the book of Luke or the book of Matthew. So if I'm reading through this story, I'm reading through it there. But there's something really significant here that's taking place, is that that this, this, this legion of demons is asking not to be sent out of the country not to be sent out of the region, out of the area. Why do you think that is? Because it understands its own influence. It understands the influence that it has built up over the people. And we're gonna see the influence in just a moment. And and then I'm gonna gonna bring my point in, but we're gonna see the influence in just a moment that, that that these demons have had through this one man in a cemetery. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, And these pigs help us to understand something. This helps us when we're identifying the region that we are not among a group of Jews because pigs are seen as unclean. So we have moved into territory that would be considered to be Gentile. So these Jewish followers of this uh, rabbi Jesus have crossed into a territory with a group of people that are not their own. They're not native from, from, uh, to them. And so these pigs are present and they begged him saying, as these pigs went by, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And there's a lot of commentary around why this happened and the significance of what follows. And so I'm just going to point to one of the possibilities today. Uh, verse 13. So he gave them permission. So they needed permission and, 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 and just, to help you understand, like, like, like this is crazy sounding. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, this is what's funny to me is that some people will get hung up on the inconsistencies that they think they find within scripture, right? And then you're like, you know, 12 verses later and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. You know what I'm saying? Like in our minds, nobody is, uh, this might kind of, you know, freak you out, but you know, you, you don't go home to, you know, uh, you know, Little, little Cujo and go, hey, maybe you're demon possessed right now, right? I mean, nobody's coming home to their pet thinking like, could a demon be inside of my pet? Now, maybe you do, never mind. I have come home a few times and felt that way, right? Okay, when everything is chewed up and, uh, but then I look at the dog, uh, it's typically a dog, cats don't really care that you exist. And, and a dog is sitting there and it's just like, <laughs> you know, but, but, but these pigs, these pigs, got, Jesus gives permission and, and it says that the demons go and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So these pigs become possessed for all intensive purposes and they rush down into the sea. Now he gives this number of 2,000 and I was just curious when I was working on this, like what does a pig cost? Like if I wanted to go buy a pig, now I'm talking about like what they call a feed pig, not like a pet pig, okay? They're evidently different. Uh, You can tell that I am a connoisseur of pig knowledge. Uh, 
60 to 100 dollars is what the going rate is, right? So if we just went on the high end at $100, that means that this was $200,000 in inventory that these herders had in front of them that just went and ran down and drowned itself. So, so this, 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 this would be something that would probably be problematic given the, the fact that the, the cities were not made up of hundreds of thousands of people, uh, that the town they were in might have had three to 5,000 people in it if it was a really large town and their community was going to take the equivalent of a $200,000 hit instantly, right? So listen, the herdsmen see this happen and it says that they fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. Another thing I wanna point out about this story right here is that we read this story and I'm guilty of this and I think that Jesus comes, he uh, gets out of the boat, demon possessed man comes up, he puts the demons into the pigs, they run down and then it's all over and they walk away, but that's not the case. This gives us an idea that the timing of this is not something that's just happening in the matter of moments. And, and I'll just give you one more quick little extra. Come on, in your life, when God's calling you to something and he's destined you for something, if you get so caught up in the fact that what you thought was gonna be two days is now in two months, you can miss God. And we, we as people can become really guilty of this. We'll go, yeah, I know I heard from God, but that was a year ago and it hasn't happened. Do you, do you understand that sometimes you've got to get across the sea to get to the place where you've, where you've got to be? It doesn't just happen instantly. That was three rhymes. It was a total accident. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and what? They were afraid. So here you go. Crazy demon-possessed man living among the tombs who can break chains, and it's when that demon-possessed man is set free that we're introduced to this idea that these people are now afraid. This man who is in his right mind, sitting there healed and whole, and these people are afraid. What is it exactly that they are afraid of? Uh, it says that, uh, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They were afraid, I think, that this Jesus who had shown up was there to destroy their livelihood because it was more important for them to have the pigs than it was to have the man. And if saving the man meant losing money, that was not okay. And this just really speaks to a group of people who are not, they're not identifying as Christians. We, we don't know what portion of, uh, of the, the Hebrew teachings they'd even been exposed to. Something natural inside of them, right? Said, we care more about our livelihood than we do about the safety of one person. And I, I wonder sometimes like, can we be guilty of that? Can we be guilty uh, of putting our priorities in place over the things that we own and possess instead put our priorities there instead of over the people around us. And is it not true that culture pushes us to think that way with a passion for money and for nice things, to go nice places? Culture is constantly pushing us in this position of money is what matters. And so you have a group of people who now have somebody in their lives returned to them and they are filled with fear. And it's all because of where they place their value. So verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Imagine, imagine being in this place where you have somebody in your life that can change the lives of people and set them free, but because it might cost you something financially, 
you want that person gone. And that's what we see happening here. I want to back up for a moment because we really haven't talked about the interaction of these Jews, these, these followers, these disciples as this is happening. And I want to talk about possibly why. Let's go back to, to chapter 4 and verse 36. It says, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So they are entering into this storm and Jesus is going to sleep. And they begin to freak out and they begin to be filled with anxiety. And then they come and this is a pretty pointed thing to ask Jesus, do do you not care about me? Just think about that as a prayer. It's like God gives you some direction in life. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to go this way. And and, and this is where I'm sending you. And then all of a sudden you're going into enemy territory and there's a storm and it's difficult. And what do we do? We begin to pray prayers like, did you abandon me? I thought you told me to go this way. And yet you're totally silent. You're not even engaging in, in the conversation. And I feel all alone. Jesus doesn't give them the how either. You see, he didn't give them the why and he didn't give them the how. He didn't tell them, listen, this is how it's gonna happen. You're gonna go through some difficult storms before you get there. All he gave them was the what? You have to get in the boat, we're crossing, right? It's not for us sometimes to, to dictate the how. We have to just be a part of the what. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And so Jesus stands up and uses his authority to calm the water around them. Now, commentators have said that this is a really good clue as to the, uh, uh, the conditions of the storm because Jesus only rebukes that which is the work of the enemy. You see, when he is just taking simple authority, he just speaks with authority. But when the enemy is at work in scripture, he rebukes it. And so there's this like little telltale sign right here that the Holy Spirit's giving us in this writing that he stands and rebukes the wind and tells it that it is to stop, that it is not okay to be doing what it is doing. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, remember, we're gonna fast forward a little bit and here's a group of people who just experienced one of their own being set free and they were afraid of it. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of the fact that this meant significant change. Now you have a group of people who have been following him and seeing signs and wonders and then they get into this boat, their lives they feel like are at stake, they could die at any moment. Jesus stands up, takes authority and rebukes the wind and what do they do? they become afraid because they're surprised that even the wind and sea obey him. Now, remember, we're the ones that put chapters and verses in place to help us navigate moving through scripture, but this would have been one continuous letter that was written. And so there's not this like break between chapter four and chapter five. We move straight from this idea that a group of people are in a number of boats crossing the sea with Jesus and Jesus stands up in the storm and says, you're done. And then they see this and instead of being in awe, they are now afraid because even the wind and the waters obey him. And they ask this question, who is this? Who is this? Jesus is gonna get out of the boat in just a moment and a demon possessed man is gonna come up and he's gonna ask the question, who are you? 
And, and, and here's the thing, you see, identity matters. And the question is, is the identity that you have the one that Christ created you for, or is it the one the enemy has conceived inside of you? Because if it's one the enemy has conceived inside of you, and I'm not suggesting that you're demon-possessed, but I can tell you what, you can be oppressed, you can be influenced by the enemy, and the enemy can stir our thoughts and our behavior so that we will take what should be obedience and push it to the side because we think that this is a better way to go. And because we don't have all the details and because we can't see the future, sometimes we do what we want. And the enemy loves that. He builds on that and helps to create a, an, an identity inside of us that then is willing to question the identity of Jesus when he shows up and does amazing things in our lives. Why is that? It's because it gives him influence. It helps him to have authority. Let's go back over here to Mark chapter five. And this is where I wanna end in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So Jesus shows up, he sets the man free. The man finds tremendous value in Jesus the people that he has done life with do not find value in Jesus. And he does what all of us want. And that is once we've been set free, what do we wanna do? We just wanna be with him. We want life to be easy and we wanna ride in the boat with Jesus. Once we understand that he has the authority to settle the waves and the wind, we don't wanna be far from him. We wanna be right there in the boat. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Guys, this is what was so powerful to me when I was going through this text is this idea that when, you're, when you are set free and your identity is reset in Christ, you are not called to come and simply show up and sit in his presence, you have a call on your life to go and share the gospel. You absolutely positively have to be the authority of Christ extended through our city and your neighborhoods. You have to absolutely be the type of, think about this for a moment. Sometimes this is what it looks like. It looks like going and helping the person who lives among the tombs. It looks like going and being hope and love and compassion to the person who doesn't look like you, smell like you, eat like you. They've taken stones and they've cut themselves up. They're miserable, they're depressed. They're, 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 their lives are fueled by drugs, rage, pornography, whatever it is. And, and what are we to do? We're to go and through the extended authority of Christ, through the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are to go and help set them free. And then sometimes it's as simple as going into our neighbor's home and sharing a meal and talking about what Christ has done in our lives. See, Jesus understood that some people need to be set free, but some people need to hear the story of freedom. And I think that, that our identity can get, that the you that you're called to be, the you that you're meant to be, can get perverted to where you think to yourself, like, oh yeah, like I would totally help a homeless person, but I don't want to get up and share my testimony with certain people because I don't want to offend them. Or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe you go, yeah, I'll go share my, my, my testimony with somebody over coffee, but going and, and, and helping somebody who's homeless, I, that's just not my thing. And yet Jesus is saying like, like it's, it's all, like this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. 
This is what it looks like by extension to be his. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. When the, when the pigs died, when, when their livelihood was being taken away, they, they were afraid because they did not understand. But once it was explained to them, they began to marvel. This, this is the power of your tongue, the power of your testimony. This is, the, this is the power of being able to get up and go, let me tell you about what had me bound up in chains. The thing that, that even after I knew him, right, kept me among the tombs. Right? You might, you might think, well, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not that person. Like, I don't live among the tombs. And, and yet the real question is, are, are there areas in your life where you exist that are dead? Do you take your life into some dead places? Do you allow tombs to say popped up in little secret parts of your life? And the truth is that if you do, you can be set free. And once you're set free, then you have a testimony that will stir the hearts of unbelievers. This, guys, this is what changes culture, right? It's not the band getting up and, and doing music and having lights and having a nice building and then us coming in and having a good sermon and walking out the door. Like if, if, if this is all that happens, right, then, then we just stay who we are right here. But if what we want to see is Savannah, Georgia change, it requires us to have a voice that talks about what God's done in our lives. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're, you're 100% going to offend people. It's going to happen. And sometimes you just need to walk away. But we cannot be afraid to share the gospel because people cannot marvel in His glory if they do not know the story. God will set you free so that you can fulfill your destiny. Can I tell you, you were not called to just simply exist. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that you were created for more than just an existence that consists of waking up and working out and working a job and eating some food and maybe playing some games and occasionally vacationing and showing up at church and that's it. No, no, no. You were created to be the extension of the Holy Spirit, right? The empowerment of Jesus on this earth so that those crazy people filled with the rage of the enemy who are so important and valuable to Jesus that he would load all of us into a boat and take us into the storm to just rescue one so that we would be the light to them. Let's stand to our feet. The bottom line is your destiny is not on the boat. Your destiny is not to go and sit on the boat and just be there and hang around Jesus. He is sending you out. How will you be obedient to that? Right now, as we end, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. I want us to just take a moment and pray. So if you're in this room right now or if you're watching online and you are not a believer, I wanna pray for you right now in this place and you would say, you know what, I want to accept Jesus as Lord of my life. And I want you to pray this prayer. The scripture says that we, we, we just simply have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. This is where we come to the place where we declare Jesus is our hope. You pray this prayer, Jesus, have your way in my life. I declare you as King. I declare you as Lord. I declare you as the one true hope. I love you. Show me your ways. Set me free from the, the areas that are dead in my life. The areas where I, I go and exist and dwell among the tombs. Give me freedom to experience 
all that you have. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray for the believers in the room today. And for those who are online, if you're a believer and you would say that there are areas in your life that, that, that you still have, that you are dwelling among the tombs and you want to experience freedom, then I want, you, I want to pray for you right now. Father, I just I lift those up who are struggling with, with their, own, uh, uh, their own sin, their own sin nature, their own, their own temptations, that today they would experience freedom, that they would experience your love and peace and hope. And then for those that are in the room right now, those that have been clinging to the boat saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. That, that your ears might be opened today to hear him say, listen, you can't come right now. I'm coming back for you, but I need you to go and be my voice. There's a group of people I, I'm, not, I'm not able to get to without you, and I need you to go and share the gospel. I need you to go and share all that I've done. That maybe if that's you today, that you would say, that you would say, yes, send me, I'll go. I'll use my voice to bring glory and honor to your name. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We give you glory and honor in your mighty, mighty name. Amen.